Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Charting Queer Health, a podcast at the intersection of queer culture, healthcare, and research. On behalf of Howard Brown Health in Chicago, I'm your host, Matt. I'm a cis, white, gay man, a Chicago resident, and I have the incredible opportunity to sit down with various experts across our organization and across our community to learn from their expertise, amplify their stories and voices, and advance the conversation surrounding queer healthcare. Joining us today is Kaylin Todd. Kaylin, thank you for coming. Uh, Would you mind introducing yourself, your role at Howard Brown, and your pronouns? Absolutely. Um, my name is Kaylin Todd, and um, I'm the director here at the Broadway Youth Center. I use he, him pronouns. Wonderful. And uh, we've had, yeah. uh, we're getting to know Broadway Youth Center better as a listening audience. Can you um, kind of give us a, a few sentence summary of what Broadway Youth Center does for those of our listeners that aren't aware? Absolutely. So the Broadway Youth Center is a very special place, obviously. Um, We cater to um, LGBTQ queer folks um, that are experiencing homelessness or housing instability. And so we really want, we've created this special place to kind of love on our clients in a way that I think is very innovative through this integrative care model, right? And so when they come into our space, we want them to be able to leave with um, as much of their needs met as possible, whether it's meeting with a provider, um, getting a hot meal, you know, taking a shower, doing their laundry, all of those things can be done here in our space. Awesome. I've, I've heard it referred to as kind of a one-stop shop, one-stop for, for, shop. for any resources somebody facing housing insecurity might need, which I think is awesome because when you think of, you know, meeting those needs, I feel like a lot of places offer like one piece of the puzzle and then you have to go three blocks over to get the other piece of the puzzle and just meeting that all in one place seems like the most logical innovation right exactly um, good to hear about so our our episode today uh, is centered around black history month um Mm -hmm. so we are three days into the month and i wanted to kind of pick your brain on uh the month itself, kind of how it relates to what we're doing here at Broadway Youth Center, sure, um, and kind of touch on a few other things along the way. It's going to be a big episode, All right. so strap in, everybody. <laughs> um, I guess starting broadly, what do you think people overlook when they think of Black History Month? Overlook, mm-hmm. overlook, or don't realize, or or you know maybe a, a point that's kind of missing from the national conversation surrounding Black History Month. I think Black History Month is. I'm not sure if it's overlooked. I think that it's embedded in the culture, mm-hmm. right? Foundationally, when you think about pop culture, when you think about some of the things that are happening across the world, um, a good majority of it was founded in Blackness, right? Style, fashion, music, entertainment. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, I think some of those pieces are missed because it feels like maybe um, it's so organic that it's hard to actually spot in the fabric of society. I th- I think that's a incredible point because there's there's this ongoing discourse, uh, especially in the queer community, how uh, gay men tend to take a lot of culture and references and things um, from. In, in a lot of cases, black women. Uh, and when we think of Black History Month, we think of black leaders and innovators and 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 achievements and 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 landmarks and things like that. Mm-hmm. But there's a, already the like less tangible, just su- uh, subtle or in some cases pronounced influence that black culture mm-hmm. has on all of America. Mm-hmm. So I think that's an excellent point that like we you know we think of you know tons of of 
black leaders that we've had throughout society, but we we don't think about the way that we owe a, a lot of things, the way we speak, the way, you know, cultural sure. references, everything uh, to the black community. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I, I think that's an excellent point. Um, when it comes to this Black History Month, do you think anything is different this year in light of the pandemic, in light of racial tensions that have happened over the last year, two years? Sure. What's different about this year? I mean, you know, I think there's this just fatigue, you know, racial fatigue, just mm-hmm. identity fatigue, um, due to all the challenges that we've experienced, you know, like you mentioned, the pandemic and um, some of the civil unrest that's happening. Um, I think folks are having to reckon with, you know, how do I continue to move forward, you know, when so much of my experience is, you know, challenging. Yeah. Brandy Jackson talked a little bit about that last week, about how um, we think about how the pandemic has affected, uh, you know, queer communities and different communities like that. But the the level of trauma that the Black community has undergone, not only from the pandemic, but, you Mm -hmm. know, at at the hands of our country Mm -hmm. uh, is, is especially hard to deal with. So how do we how do we experience Black History Month in light of that? What, you know, it's hard when it comes to advocacy and like months in general, because it's like, what do we, how do we, what do we do as a society or as communities or as individuals to, to honor uh, the sacrifices that people have made on behalf of the Black community? What, what can I do? What can you do? Sure. Tangible things, you know, because if like, it's one thing to think about, but another thing to really have our actions align with our words. How do we do that? Yeah. I think it's simple, you know, um, one of the very simple ways is educating, Mm -hmm. you know, educate yourself, do a little bit of reading every day, you know, um, pick a topic that you aren't familiar with, you know, I think it's in the face of difference that we learn the most about ourselves, right? And so um, I think folks will find that as you read about different cultures, if if you read about different identities, you'll learn so much about yourself in those that, you know, identify with those different pieces. But I think, you know, at its core, Black History Month is kind of this celebratory moment to just uplift and just bask in the light of, you know, Blackness and difference, right? Mm -hmm. And so for um, many of the communities, and, you know, you think about there's this whole underground and Black queer revolution as well happening, right? You know, and so when you think about how to support and how to advocate, I think it's extremely important that we understand that there are different tiers as it relates to queerness as well, different cultures. And although some of that spills over, it's important to maintain ownership over um, those those other pieces. Yeah, for for people listening that might not be familiar with kind of the queer communities or the the queer liberation movement's origins, mm-hmm. give us like a thirty second, not thirty second. I don't, we we can't fit it all into that, <laughs> but uh, a, a short summary of of why the queer community owes so much to the Black queer community specifically. I'm talking Stonewall, Barsha, all the way back. Uh. Because, I mean, it, it's obvious to us, but it might not be obvious to our listeners. So I just want to give it like a quick. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you think about what it meant to be Black, you know, way back when. And to throw another layer of identity on that where, you know, to be Black, gay, and male, you know, 
I mean, you had to create your own moments. You have to create your own scene. You know, you think about the um, origin of the ballroom scene. Mm -hmm. You think about um, some of the catchphrases that we hear in pop culture now. Um, Many of those things, you know, um, started in the Black gay community. And so uh, I think it's important to, that we just acknowledge, you know, some of those pieces, but then, you know, also continue to educate, you know, as folks may not be, you know, as familiar with those pieces. Yeah, I think it's so fascinating to me how much, you know, I'm a cis white gay man, which is probably the best represented, uh, you know, portion of the queer community but I know for me and so many people around me all the language we use on a day-to-day basis and the cultural things that we touch on Mm -hmm. and you know Mm -hmm. the culture we participate in is derived from the black queer community so it's been interesting to see how people participate or Mm -hmm. you know use that language like you know foguing on you know or, mm-hmm. or doing the attempt to vogue on a dance floor like jokingly <laughs> sure uh while you know but doing so in a way that is conscious of where it came from and mm. the struggles that were required to even make it quote-unquote mainstream within the gay community yeah. you know yeah. um i've seen a lot of discourse of like yeah like white gay men are culturally appropriating you know the black queer culture but then you have the other side they're like why are we pitting two mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. two subdivisions of the queer community against each other right but right i don't know it's just just such an interesting conversation to have when it comes to the influence that the black queer community has had and uh the, the white gay community that kind of yeah benefits from the work that was done before them. You know what I mean? I don't yeah. know. It's an interesting dynamic, I guess. Absolutely. You know, and, and that is, you know, a great point, but it's also important to acknowledge that there are queer folks of different identities that have also contributed to yeah. a large majority of, you know, the advancing forward and, you know, rights and um, just the ability to show up and be who you want to be. Mm. Um, so while I do think that a large portion of that particular um, um, piece we do owe to Black folk, I think it's also too important. Too important. Like, that's just one part yeah. of the story, right? Right. Like we can't get hung up on that. There's, you know... All of us being who we are yeah. is contributing, absolutely, in a way, absolutely. Um, yeah, but it, yeah, it's important to to remember that we're all pieces of the same puzzle, so mm-hmm. to speak. Mm-hmm. We're all, you know, being queer and being who we are yeah. is as important. Sure, I don't know. It's an interesting conversation to think it about. Is. It's something that I it run is. into daily. I, you know, a lot of on like t- online spaces on Twitter and mm-hmm. stuff, people sharing. Mm-hmm. You know memes or jokes or whatever and so much of it is rooted in in black cultural references so Mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. it's just interesting to kind of think about that as we move through those spaces and stuff i wanted to touch on a little bit how black history month and queer culture kind of manifest themselves within your work here at broadway youth center Mm -hmm. because while broadway youth center caters to you know people of all ethnicities minorities across the city Mm -hmm. you know whatever it is how do you see Uh, what we do here as it relates to black history month or you know the the black people of chicago as they experience housing instability does that question make sense yeah no (laughs) it makes perfect sense um you know a large part of the folks that you know experiencing housing instability or homelessness are folks of color 
You know what I'm saying? And mm -hmm. so we see a large amount of, you know, people of color come in and those are our clients. And I think what we do here is really understanding how identity um, affects how people walk through life. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And so for us, really investing in trauma-informed care, really understanding how trauma um, unfolds and, you know, someone may be upset um, or triggered, you know, and really being able to assist them is in the fabric of the way in which we do the work here at the Broadway Youth Center. And it's really a, you know, it's really a testament to our staff. Our staff is incredible, incredibly gifted at recognizing those nuances and bringing those to the forefront. Um, they've done an incredible job at educating myself and new staff members on the Broadway frameworks and um, harm reduction and all of those pieces are somehow tied to, you know, um, at its basic level, identity, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so I stand on the shoulders of the staff. I love that. I That's something, because I, I started in September and learning Howard Brown's kind of frameworks of, like you said, harm reduction and trauma-informed care was huge to me to kind of get uh, an idea of how we function here. Mm -hmm. It was especially evident kind of what what trauma might look like. I was talking with Maya on our first episode and mm -hmm. we were talking about early vaccine eligibility mandates about how you know, the, early, the first vaccine was rolled out to people 65 and above mm -hmm. um, and essential workers. And she made the incredible point that Englewood might have a life expectancy of only 60 uh, and the vaccine requirement was 65 and above. So mm -hmm. when you look at how these communities kind of perceive healthcare and mm -hmm. access to resources, it, that's that trauma of like, look, you didn't want to include me before. Why should I trust you mm -hmm. to help me make things better now? Um, yeah. And so it's, yeah, especially when it comes to, to young people. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think you're absolutely right. There is like this kind of innate distrust of, you know, these types of systems, right? Because mm -hmm. oftentimes they don't show up for, you know, black folk or folks of color. And so I think what we've been very intentional about here at Howard Brown and the Broadway Youth Center is really owning that, understanding that, and really creating a space for folks to have conversations about that, right? Um, we have a community meeting that happens every day where that's led youth led by our clients. And that's oftentimes awesome. these conversations come up, right? Mm -hmm. um, and we don't run from them. We run towards them because we want to be as transparent and authentic in this space as possible and allow our clients and our young people to do the same, right? Because this space is their own. So much of their world it's not mm. right, and so they walk in here. We want them to be able to help guide the way the way in which we do programming, guide the way in which we provide services. Grab, you know, you think about agency and autonomy. You know what I'm saying, mm -hmm. and that being taken away from you. We want to be able to provide space that makes room for that here. That that's so consistent with the other staff members that I've talked to. Uh, I was talking with Jenny and we discussed how even uh, 
food choice mm -hmm. factors into teaching that agency and autonomy of learning, mm -hmm. uh, teaching these young people how to kind of advocate for what they want. Mm -hmm. um, and even with folks in a healthcare setting, they need to be able to say, I feel this, this, and this, or mm -hmm. uh, with food, I want to eat this, this, and this. And that sets them up better to kind of advocate for themselves outside Absolutely. of these roles because that's, that's a muscle that you have to learn how to flex of like, I feel this way. Yeah. Um, and I think it's an interesting kind of microcosm of the way that we can approach Black History Month as a whole, right? Mm -hmm. Of like making space for these conversations to happen, uh, amplifying Black voices and allowing um, those members of our community to 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 share and to, to, to let us in on their experience mm -hmm. uh, and to kind of have these conversations like we're having now. Sure. Because so often conversations are dominated by everything else happening in the world and yeah coronavirus pandemic politics whatever mm -hmm, it is mm -hmm. maybe black history month above all is just quieting the rest of the noise and allowing these kind of stories and conversations to happen sure is that a fair take i don't know i think so you know i think it is a moment to you know uplift be in a time that is so tragic mm. and um challenging you know what i'm saying and so if you go through, you know, hashtag Black History Month on Twitter, you know, even here, you know, mm -hmm. we're doing some celebratory programming around Black History Month, educating so much of Black history was lost, yeah. you know. Um, and so there's a, and many of our staff members are folks of color, right? Mm -hmm. And so oftentimes as Black people, you feel like you're learning as well, but we're in this moment of educating others as well. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And so... Um, Part of that is just making sure that it shows up in the programming, in the space, in conversations. And, you know, you don't run from those conversations. Like I said, you run towards them. Yeah. Speaking of, of running and education and Black history, mm -hmm. it's a big topic, but I wanted to kind of touch on the debate in our country surrounding critical race theory. Oh, wow. I know. I know. It's, <laughs> it's a big topic. And it I it's it's one that I'm woefully misinformed on i guess i have the privilege to to be misinformed on um or uninformed i should say mm -hmm. um and i was doing some research beforehand can you give our listeners in your eyes what what you would think of when you think of critical race theory i could try <laughs> you know i am not an expert on the theory mm -hmm. but i can share the overall idea what we yeah. think of when you know yeah we're proponents of critical race theory, what that means. Yeah, you know, I think, um, you know, just broadly, if we think about critical race theory, it is really just acknowledging um, that something was done wrong, you know, I think mm -hmm. at its core, right? And reckoning that with a way that doesn't cover up the misgivings of our nation, mm -hmm. you know, um, because something about that feels dismissive, um, and can be taken that way, right? Yeah. If you're not teaching folks about this legacy, if you're not teaching people, you know, and, and legacy isn't always a positive experience, right? <laughs> you yeah. know, so if you're not teaching about um, these foundational pieces, you know, are we really contributing to a better society, mm -hmm. right? Um, and oftentimes there is this kind of erasure of Black experiences, you know, and this feels like another kind of erasure, right? You yeah. think about way back when, when um, bodies, the way in which Black bodies were built were, you know, determined to be a form of like 
um, a monster form mm -hmm. or, you know, um, you know, big lips and, you know, larger noses and kind of those pieces were undesirable, mm -hmm. right? And framed that way. And then here we are eons later and these bodies are kind of the blueprint of, you know, urban culture. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, the, you know, when you think about critical race theory, you think about the education component um, and what it feels like is that we don't want to acknowledge that these things happen out of fear that it will only perpetuate the divide. But that is from a lens that is that hasn't experienced the trauma. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. It's very much the the policymakers when it comes to education are mm -hmm. a lot of times white people. So they mm -hmm. they look at that and like, well, if we talk about what happened, it's you know, it's taking the scab off a wound, so to speak. We're gonna we're gonna have to rehash everything, and it's gonna exacerbate this divide between us. And right. on the flip side, the people that have experienced the trauma and experience it every day, right. uh, in, in little ways, are saying uh, obviously not. And you know, the sure. only way we move ahead as a society is talking about it sure. and educating people on it. Mm -hmm. I mean, speaking personally, I moved from I grew up in West Michigan, Southwest mm -hmm. Michigan. Um, Betsy DeVos land, so mm -hmm. to speak. And I know over the course, like I had a, a great education, so to speak, sure. uh, and, but I can count on one hand the number of black historical figures I learned about. Mm. Uh, and I know there's more than that. Mm -hmm. And so like you said, there's this whole black legacy of excellence and trailblazing that just gets not mentioned, I guess. Sure. Uh, and so I, I see critical race theory as just the conscious effort to not only include those figures in our historical education, uh, but also to acknowledge that America was built off that legacy and, and that it's still pervasive in every mm -hmm. system that we have mm -hmm. here. And the work is not done when it comes to dismantling it. Exactly. So I, exactly. It's interesting to me to see that there's a debate surrounding that at all. Um, I know some schools have, you know, agreed to not teach it. Right. right. Um, yeah, there's a push for GOP governors mm -hmm. across the country to like ban critical race theory, which I think is just flabbergasting. Yeah. To use yeah. one word. Yeah, I guess I'm hopeful over the course of this month that uh, that conversation makes tracks in the right direction, I guess. Yeah, I am as well. I'm hopeful. You know, I, I feel like there's even more of black history that needs to be taught in classrooms, mm -hmm. right? And so I think, you know, not teaching this particular piece, I think it would be a missing piece. You know, we would we be doing society a disservice yeah. not to include this and, in, you know, the curriculum and literature. Yeah. And and it it also goes more than you know, the the effects of including black history in our education ripple outwards to mm -hmm. to other ethnic groups as well. I mean, it's there's there's so much more. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to ask, and it seems like a really trivial question at first, is obviously not, but is a month enough for black history? I know because there's de the debate, even just with issues that people are advocating for in general, and when, yeah. whether it's you get a day for it, a month for it, or a year for it, whatever. Right. Um, people are always saying like, well, on this topic, we should just be grateful that we, you know, there's this awareness at all. We shouldn't push too much. And and, and if we make it a year-long thing, it, it'll lose its impact, so to speak. How do you view 
this is kind of phrased poorly, but how do you view time limits when it comes to like advocacy on things? Because as, as I work in this role, there's, I mean, there's awareness days for everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I he- I've heard people say like, we love black history month, but it's also, also the shortest month of the year. Like, you know, a month is never enough to, to expand on everything that we need to, or you have conversely that people will say, you know, if it was any longer, it would lose its impact. We, you know, hmm. we have to make other people aware in a short period of time, mm-hmm. you know, to to really drive home how important it is. Where, yeah. wh- what do you what do you think of when it when it comes to that? I don't. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I don't know that I've ever thought that deeply about it, <laughs> but of course I have thoughts about it. I mean. Mm-hmm. You know, in the early 1920s, Carter G. Woodson advocated for it to be a week. So it started off as a week. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And over time, um, it became a month. And so I think my thoughts around the time length isn't on the forefront. It's what we do with the time, right? Mm-hmm. Because there are months, there are heritage months throughout the throughout the year, right? Right. Um, do I think it's enough time to celebrate the impact and the contribution that black history has made to our culture? No, you know, um, but I'm grateful, you know, that grateful probably isn't the best word, but, um, <laughs> yeah, it, I get what you, it's, it's, it's a nuanced yeah. where it's like happy for that it exists, but always wanting better or more, yeah. I guess, so to say, I don't know. It's, it's kind of like, You've operated as such a deficit for your entire life that when you get something, it feels like a step in the right direction, Mm. but it doesn't quite feel that void. You know what I'm saying? Mm. You think about some places in the South you go as a Black person and still feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. You know, some places I go here in Chicago and I still feel uncomfortable. You know, that is the residual trauma of our ancestors still present today mm-hmm. you know you yeah. know so for someone to be able to be murdered in a street on camera and for our legal system to say that it wasn't murder that's a direct indirect opposition of correct yeah of the month so it's you know it's like yeah it's it's a step in the right direction and we've you know in light of history might think that it's you know great we have a month now it's perfect yeah. but when you put it into reference with everything it's it's never enough yeah and i think i wanted to touch on it because whether it's race equity or you know the lgbtq cause or whatever mm-hmm. we're advocating mm-hmm. for it's mm-hmm. always important to think about how we're advocating and and how we kind of mend that divide yeah. uh, of, of whatever issue it is because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i mean we have pride month uh and there are people within the queer community that would say like we don't face discrimination anymore we have a pride month gay marriage is legal etc mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. i mean everybody knows that that's not there's still work to be done so it, there's that there's that feeling when you're advocating for something or, you know, trying to get rights for a group that hasn't had them, once you get that little bit, it's like, we can rest, you know, where I are, where we've made strides. And, and yeah. I think sometimes there's that tendency when it comes to advocacy. And I, I just wanted to touch on that time, you know, 
Yeah. The, the month thing, because it's like, there's always more work to be done. A month is never enough. Yeah. And I thing. think, you know, just to your point about, you know, making great strides, you know, even when it comes to, you know, marriage, you know, just because folks are able to do it now does not, you know, um, reconcile everyone else that had not been able, that had not been able to do it before. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so, yeah, while it's great, I still feel how I feel because of the experiences that I've experienced during that other time, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And there, it, like you can see it tangibly with like the push to legalize marijuana mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. have it's become so mainstream and you have you know dispensaries around every corner but right. you still have thousands of people in jail uh for for selling petty amounts now uh yeah. that won't get justice necessarily even if it's legalized right so there's there's this whole process with advocacy on any issue that you you have to account for the past you have um, to more than just look towards the future. Yeah. And I think, you know, even that point about dispensaries, you know, there was this whole big push, even I think here in Chicago, uh, there's an incredible amount of capital that you mm-hmm. need to open up a dispensary. And so there was this whole, you know, push around there not being enough access for people of color to acquire dispensaries, right? Because capital is tied to capitalism and if you don't have access to those funds we know who capitalism benefits exactly yeah um so there was there was this whole big thing around you know we need to create more avenues of access for folks of color to be able to have those types of opportunities to Mm -hmm. own dispensaries right because on you know on its nose legalizing marijuana might look like an advancement for everybody but Mm -hmm. it is an advancement for white folks in general i wanted i i wanted to touch on a little bit but that's it's probably a conversation for a whole nother podcast about chicago and its racial divisions because chicago i i think i heard it described once as one of the most segregated cities large cities in america in that there's Mm. such stark contrast between neighborhoods oh yeah you can i mean cross one street and suddenly everything's different. And I was doing some research right when I started just about the origins of that, where that comes from sure. and, and the city's role in kind of rearranging neighborhoods and yeah. occupants of neighborhoods in order to, to benefit certain organizations and certain people. And so I just think it's interesting how that plays into, to things today. I, we can't get too far into it because that's a, that's a whole thing, mm-hmm. but how do you think Howard Brown has taken steps to kind of combat that disparity between neighborhoods and do you think there's more steps we can take because i mean the broadway youth center we're here on the north side of Chicago, we are some would say you know is has more resources than other neighborhoods sure. but we also do have clinics across the city we do um what do you you know what steps going forward or what are you hopeful for in the future that how yeah. can do to kind of uh, mend those divides between the neighborhood and the access to resources and things like that Yeah, you know, I think as we think about disparities amongst the LGBTQ community and, you know, folks of color, it's really important that we we have to get rid of these barriers to Mm -hmm. access to care, right? And we have to be able to partner with the community in very intentional ways. You know, if you have, if you're working with a community that has been historically distrusting 
of the system, they're not going to come to us even if you build it, mm. you know? So the outreach is incredibly important. And I think, you know, shout out to Liz Thompson, who's doing an excellent job at really meeting our, you know, queer community where they are and, you know, doing some of that great outreach. Um, obviously, we have tons of work to do um, here at the Broadway Youth Center. We're actually building out a street outreach program, okay. right? And so we're boots on the ground, really going to be um, trying to meet folks where they are because we have this saying, we really meet young people where they are. Um, and so we'll physically be mm-hmm. doing that as we continue to build out what outreach can look like in the coming months. Right. Because, yeah, going going into a center or, you know, a, a clinic or whatever it may be is intimidating, like you said, For when sure. there's... When there's is, yeah. you know, neighborhoods that have been historically um, kind of put to the side, we can't expect them to come to us, mm-hmm. so to speak. So mm-hmm. I think it's it's the most convincing model I've heard of when it comes to to mending those barriers and to mm-hmm. g- getting people help where they need it, truly, yeah. bringing things to them and not relying. We, we, like I said, we talked about it with Maya, of like facilitating community healing yes. looks like meeting people where they are not expecting them to come to us mm-hmm. um so yeah i think i think it, it's it's hopeful and i love as i've learned more about howard brown mm-hmm. and learned more about our model i've loved kind of um seeing the possibilities of, of, yeah. of what that looks like across chicago so and it takes time you yeah. know what i'm saying like it's not going to happen overnight it's not one of those if you build it they'll come you have to truly be intentional about how you partner with the community. Like Mm -hmm. that's incredibly important. Trust is extremely important. You know, kind of building that rapport is extremely important. And so that's even integrated into our model here. You know, when folks come in here, we're not just handing them, it's not transactional. We're actually trying to develop relationships with them because we know through that relationship facilitates the growth and would hopefully put them on the path to self-sustainability. Yeah. And I, I think there's that tendency with with people our age to everything is such immediate gratification. Mm-hmm. Everything happens quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when it comes to this work, it obviously can't be done quickly. And sure. I think some people get frustrated when it comes to that. But it's a good reminder that like the most important, sustainable, effective change happens slowly in a lot of cases. Over time. So yeah, over I know that, that's a good reminder. We are approaching the end of our time. Okay. Uh, and so... We, we, this has been a long and winding road on this, on this episode. <laughs> We've touched on a lot of things. Sure. All of these require more conversation and, uh, you know, apologies to any of our listeners if we didn't probably dive in as, as deeply as we could have, but those are all conversations for another <laughs> episode. Uh, as we approach the end, sure. Kaylin, is there any, um, anything that we didn't touch on that you want to make sure gets brought up or any final uh, final words, words of wisdom for our listeners as it pertains to Black History Month, Queer Black History Month, Chicago, etc. <laughs> you know, I had someone, I was given a, um, I was on a panelist the other week um, about supporting, you know, LGBTQ youth. Mm-hmm. And one question that I got that really stuck with me is like, how, what can I do every day to remain mindful, you know? Mm. And my suggestion and one of the suggestions of one of our, my colleagues was that, you know, want to recognize your own privilege in the space, right? Even myself as a young black man in a space that's helping a vulnerable population, I have privilege, Right. And so owning that and understanding that and taking that with you into the space is really important, but also just to educate, 
you know, and not rely on others to educate you. Mm-hmm. And so doing a little bit of reading each day, having conversation, asking those tough questions, you know, to truly understand difference at its core, right, at its foundation is it's, it's truly a gift. Mm-hmm. It's truly a gift of humility. Yeah. Diversity is... Yeah. It, like you said, it's a gift. So yeah. I, yeah. And I appreciate the the sentiment of like doing the research and d- doing the work yourself. Yeah. Uh, learning. I mean, there, go to your local library. There is yeah. hundreds of books of people of different, different perspectives, races, ethnicities, backgrounds, yep. experiences to, to broaden your horizon. So, I mean, it's, it's truly something everybody can do mm-hmm. every day. So just a little bit each day, just a little bit. I love <laughs> that. Yeah. This is, this has been one of my most thought-provoking episodes because it's something I have zero experience with. So I am so grateful to you for Aww. for educating and, and being uh, so kind and wise. And Listen, we're learning together. Yeah, so. that's, that's <laughs> what I love about this podcast. I learn so much every time I sit down and record. So thank you so much for your Absolutely. time. We'll have to have you back another time. Please on, do. On any of the things we talked about. <laughs> thank you for coming. Absolutely. That was our episode about Black History Month with Kaylin Todd, the director of the Broadway Youth Center. If you're curious about the Broadway Youth Center, you can go to www.howardbrown.org to learn more. Thank you for listening.